Hello and welcome to the No Sleep Till Don't Sleep podcast. I'm Tony. And I am Garrett and we're from the band Don't Sleep. And if you have listened to any of the other podcasts, you kind of know the drill, but if not, uh, welcome. Uh, sort of the point of this podcast is we're interviewing people who were involved in helping to make our new record, Turn the Tide, which is out now on Mission to Entertainment. And um, we are recording this slightly in advance of when this is being released. And our assumption is that the record is huge at this point. Is that is that correct? I mean, my assumption is at this point, we're at... it's platinum what's what's like after platinum is there a thing after platinum i think just multi-platinum multi-platinum okay yes and uh probably i've moved already probably upgraded my home yes are we moved have we moved out of pennsylvania or are we lifers in pennsylvania i think i would always will always like maintain that hometown home that's like basically like some of our staff just kind of live there and take care of it but we've definitely moved to I don't know, west, the West Coast? South of France? Oh, I mean, I think I'm picking South of France over just the West Coast. Okay. Right? I is, mean, that, is that where bands go when they I don't get know that bands do that, but that's kind of what I want to do. That's what we're going to do. Yeah. All right. So we've we've moved to the South of France. Like I like that we're moving together. Yeah. yeah I was, <laughs> we have. I like Are we taking the others with us? I mean, I like them. I like those guys. I feel like um, we... And we're taking our families, obviously. Obviously. Right? Obviously. Okay. We, I mean, I am, I, you know, I don't want to, you were talking about your kids not wanting to see you a few episodes ago. I know so. it's true, but my wife is, is European. So I think she, and we've, she's always, she has been to South of France. So I think she would, um, she would definitely join us. And I, I think she'd want to bring our children with us, but that, that is debatable. They wouldn't want to come. They Probably think not. living in central Pennsylvania is the best place to live. I mean, it's not a bad place to live. It's not bad. That's why we're maintaining our homes here. That is why we're maintaining <laughs> our homes. I actually, uh, I actually, when people who are moving, coming to this area, ask me like to describe Harrisburg, I actually, and I am a real estate agent, so I should be kind Cats of- Cats out of the bag, I people. Should, sorry. I should be kind of promoting this area, you know, especially someone's moving here from from elsewhere. Like one of my things I'm supposed to do is help them feel good about moving here. Mm-hmm. I always say Harrisburg's not the best at anything, but we're like average to slightly above average in everything. I would say that's... But we're not below average. We're anything. not. No. no. I mean, there's not a whole lot to complain about, really. There's no traffic because there's yeah. a lot of people who live here. There's very little traffic. There's... Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, low cost of living. Anyway, we're not the this, we're not the chamber of just commerce. Just move to here. Harrisburg, everybody. Just move to Harrisburg. That's what we're saying, everybody. And then we'll have a a better scene. I would hope yeah. so. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, don't move here and then not go to shows. That would that'd be a little weird. Don't move here and not go to shows. Yeah. That, if you're gonna move here, go to shows. Yes. Let's contribute, people. Start a zine. People start do, a zine. Do people doing zines? Just, yes. Okay. 100%. Do some zines. Everybody start a zine. Move here and do a zine. I want just an influx of zines. Yes. Remember when everyone used to walk around with a messenger bag and pass out their zine? Absolutely. I miss that. I miss the simplicity of I that. Too. I It'd love be zines. like a dollar, maybe $2 if it was like, you know, pretty primo. I was thinking the other day about a, a zine that I used to read um, called Comet Bus. Uh, yeah, I know Comet Bus. And the guy wrote it. His name was Aaron Comet Bus. And he was um, like Green Day's roadie. Mm-hmm. And that's, and he would write about, it was just like a travel. It was like him walking around the Bay Area and 
observing things and, and travel diaries and stuff. But the first, one of the first times I saw Green Day, they played in my friend Jay Shorey's basement and their drummer was getting his hair dyed blue. So he had to dye in his hair um, when Green Day was supposed to play. And he actually basically handed the drumsticks over to Aaron Comabus, who was also a drummer. And he played drums in Green Day that day while um, the other drummer, John, who's no longer the drummer. That is correct. Um, got his hair dyed. So uh, I saw a video of that when I was probably like 15. It's out there. Yeah. It's, it's like Green Day playing in a basement in Pennsylvania. And I'm still friends with Jay Shorey, whose basement it was. And whose parents were away or something, so Green Day played there. And I have actually run into Green Day in the past ten years a, a few times, and and I've I've always mentioned I feel like that you're show. name dropping a little bit. Um, this is a little bit of a flex. <laughs> they don't know my name, but uh, the point is I've run into them, and they and I've mentioned that show, and they remember it very well. In fact, I mentioned the show, and I think Billy Joe said, "You know, there's a video out there of that show," and that's that's the first time I had heard that. So so. They remember that fondly. I remember it fondly. And check out the Comet Bus scene. I'm sure it's out there somewhere if you just Google If the it. video of that show is out there, I'm sure Comet Bus the is on the internet. is out there too? Yeah, it's okay. on the internet somewhere. So speaking of cool people, your brother. Yeah, my how brother. Long have, how long have you known him? His whole life. His whole life. Yeah. It's a long time. Yeah. And uh, you guys are... I feel like you guys have a lot of... I mean, some like obvious similarities. Like, you're both kind of... Lo- punk rock hardcore lifers you're both musicians you're both really cool people creative oh thanks um but i also feel like there's a lot of differences between you guys definitely sort of personality wise which i, think I guess so. is natural um, i think so but he's a renaissance man right not he, that that's what's different about you and him but this is a this <laughs> you is a new are thought. very one-dimensional this me. is a new this is a new thought he's like what kind of stuff is the is he into we're going to find out in this interview but Let's give a little bit of a, a teaser for the audience. I mean, he's he's definitely into music, definitely into punk and hardcore. Um, he's played in some huge hardcore bands. Yeah, in Mindset uh, and Praise, who are still playing. Uh, and he has a new oi band called uh, No Heads. Oh, oi. Yeah. Oh, God, I'm, I'm really, because I thought he said boy band. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, he has, yeah. he. That I, makes sense. His harmonies are good. Yes. Um. He has, yeah, he's sang in some hardcore bands. He's, we had a straight edge band called Those Who Remain that he was a singer for. Um, and when I said Renaissance, I mean, he does more than just one thing. So other than music, yes, he also, all of his accomplishments in music. He also is a photographer, a very accomplished photographer. Yes, um, he's put out books. He has put out books. He's published some books. Uh, he is a professor of photography. Yeah. So he's, he's. Do you call him Dr. Chris? Uh, he, he does not have a doctorate, but I still call him that. Um, yeah, that is <laughs> that is what I say. He makes me call him that. Good, still good. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, the reason why he's on this podcast is because he did the cover photo and the back photo for our record, which I love. I mean, I love the record, but I really, really love the photo. And I think like there was when we were coming up with ideas for the for the album art. I know we considered a lot of different concepts, but we kept coming back. Is photographs because they're entrancing like he they're really almost every photograph of his you look at it and you say that would be a good album cover. yeah and i think we actually were looking at a few of them yes yeah a few different ones yeah, yeah. He, i mean he also he also did the photography i think that um 
It's on the seven inch. Yeah, the back and the front and cover of the cover of the seven inch yeah. are, are his from Black and Blue Bowl. Black maybe? and Blue Bowl. Yeah, yeah, we played Black and Blue Bowl, and maybe he has a live shot in the twelve inch, the first record that came yeah, out. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe my Probably. daughter has a photo credit in there. I think if she does, then he may. I think also. I think she also does. Yes, but um, it was really this is was a really great conversation about what he's done musically, what he is doing now musically, and life as a photographer, and how he became, you know, a professional photographer. And uh, also, like, the, you know, the the true bro stuff, like, not just bro, like, yeah. in the slang, like, it's interesting to hear about you guys, your background, and and your sort of lifelong um, involvement with this punk world, so. I think We've been around a, for a while doing stuff. Yeah. Or worse, right? Mostly, mostly better. <laughs> hopefully yeah mostly better really good thanks so thanks for listening to this episode um thanks for checking out our record turn the tide which came out september 4th and Um, by now we're in france by now we are living in southern france so if you're ever in town uh you'll have to come up to the gate and you'll have to ring it and some of the the staff will probably have to let you in but we we would love to see you in the south of france Mm mm-hmm Au yeah. revoir, au revoir, as the French say. And check out uh, Chris Bavaria on the No Sleep Till Don't Sleep podcast. Yes. Better, a little bit. That is good. Yeah, that's good. So are, is, is your apartment like above that ice cream shop you took us to last time we were in Richmond? Uh, no, I wish it was. That's <laughs> <laughs> where I would live if I lived in Richmond. That would be amazing. What was that place called again? Charm School. Yes. That was incredible. So, uh, thanks for doing this. Sure. I, I don't know what we're did, doing. <laughs> Tony didn't give you any background at all? I think I did. I, mean, I said we're just going to talk about <laughs> stuff. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so the ideas were, you know, interviewing people who were involved with the, with the record. And it's not necessarily interviewing them about the record, but just people who participated. So okay, you're uh, one of several people we talked to. And um, you're a photographer. That's how you got involved, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so we're we're talking about. So you had a a live shot on the twelve inch, the first record, in the insert. I'm guessing, or Tony, do we say in the insert or the back? Uh, I don't know about the twelve inch. I think I on think the, the seven inch, she had yeah the front and back cover. The front and back cover, right? Yeah. The front and, back and cover. this one, front mm-hmm. and back I didn't even cover. Realize that. <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> I, don't, I need a copy of that stuff. You, you don't have that seven inch. I only have a few, so. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, when we were coming up with cover art for the for the new record, we had a you know when you have how many people are in our band five guys, five thousand ideas from every guy. So like. We had so many ideas circulating around, but we kept going back to a you know series of your. Now, what do you call? It's not is an so is an editorial photo, um, something you do for like commercial purposes. What do you call the photos that that we used, like in the industry? Uh, just travel. It's not really. Uh, it doesn't really serve any purpose besides just my own personal work, really. Okay. So the cover of the record is a guy walking across 
basically walking across a dune mm-hmm. in the distance. You can see all of his footprints. So can you tell us, tell us about that picture? Because I don't know the story. Oh, okay. Uh, so that picture is our friend Al. I don't know if you know Al, Garrett. Uh, uh, I don't think Tony so. Tony definitely knows Al. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. think he Tom knows that you guys use that Al. picture either. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think Tom told him. Okay. I think Tom told him. Yeah. Um, and we were in uh, UAE, and on just like a adventure as we do, and uh, we just pulled over on the side of the road and just started hiking through some sand dunes. That's basically what happened. And I, I just took a picture. I took a bunch of pictures of him just kind of wandering around in the sand. Did he know you were photographing him at the time? Mm-hmm. Or is that just yeah, assumed yeah, yeah. if he's traveling with you that that's going to be happening? Yeah, he's he's very aware that that is going to happen. I uh, I like to put him in a lot of the pictures kind of ambiguously. Um just to show some kind of sense of scale in terms of, you know, a lot of the places we go, if it's sand dunes or mountain or, you know, a big building or whatever, having a tiny little owl in the picture, just, you know, give it more, something more interesting too, a little more dynamic. I'm waiting for the owl photo book, the owl travel photo book. I think that would be a great book. Would you call it the album? The photo album? Good one. Photos of owls (laughs) bum. Well, it's good you know, because there's a lot of them. I mean, even just looking at your Instagram, there's a lot of Al in various places throughout the world. Oh, yeah. They're which, all, none of them are in a normal place. It's all, you know, <laughs> or on top of a mountain or on top of like the tallest building in China or whatever. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because the photo isn't exactly like a optimistic photo. I mean, it's a guy sort of stumbling across the desert and there's it's not like there's no oasis at the other end of sure. it like as far as you can tell he's not going to make it you know <laughs> the, 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 That's ironically <laughs> the album is called turn the tide but originally it was supposed to be called 2020 okay before all this shit why, happened. Why'd you I mean, this it? is like last year um first of all we weren't sure if it was actually going to come out in 2020 at a certain point so we figured it would be sort of silly to, you know, call it 2020 and have it released in 2021. And uh, the 2020 was you know, supposed to be more like clear vision, not sure. necessarily the year. But this year has sucked pretty bad. And then to really? have that photo, <laughs> to have that photo, repre- I mean, it, it would seem super, super negative to have yeah. that photo along with 2020. Like, OK, this is where we are right now. And this is the state of our world. Where did Turn so. the Tide come from then? I think we were Tell just me. brainstorming album titles. I think Walter might have actually said it. It's in one of the, it's in one of the songs. It's oh, in the song weird. Reflection. Gotcha. Right? Is Turn it? the Tide and Make a Change. Yeah, you're right. What's Inside Will Remain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think because Walter was like, that was the original be- lyric. The original lyric was flip the script and make a change. Because that's how I wrote it. And Walter changed it. And who am I to argue with that guy? <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't always do it. No. There's also one lyric that he wrote where it was like, he was working with Dave on some lyrics and he, the, the line was like, inside so riot. He says that something inside so riot. And I was like, so riot. What's that? And he's, he just looked at me. He's like, 
Garrett, it's a thing people say. So so like, riot? S O R I O T? Yeah, like, like to describe something as, as to, riot. It's, Garrett, it's that's the thing people say. Just, yeah. He's like, thing they say. It, it's kind I've of like you're from the. <laughs> he's like, it's, it's a thing people say. So. <laughs> So um, I'm interested in hearing the Bavaria Brothers backstory because you guys are come from a, like a long line of like punk rock brothers, you know, the Mackay Brothers and the Bavaria Brothers. Yeah, I mean, we're basically at the same level. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, tell me about the early days of you guys. Like, how did you guys get into punk and hardcore? And who's the older of the two? I never really knew that. Well, I'm, I'm the older. Um I'll let you talk, tell your story. No, I mean, you're the origin story. So, <laughs> Well, I mean, I guess, you know, from my perspective, I got into punk probably like sort of through alternative, I would say, you know, like I started listening to more like Sonic Youth and, and some of those kinds of bands. And then through skateboarding, kind of started finding out more about um, like some West Coast punk and Minor Threat and. I think we benefited, like, my friend Clayton and I kind of got into skateboarding and punk at the same time, and we had some slightly older friends. Clayton was really good at skateboarding, so we had older friends who would hang out with us because he was such a good skateboarder, um, and they would, like, introduce us to, like, Bad Religion, and, you know, we would see some skate videos that didn't always have credits at the end, but they would be like, oh, yeah, that part is you know green day or that part is pennywise and things like that so that's kind of how we started getting to more of that music i would say so that's kind of how i got into it i got into it just by going into tony's room <laughs> listening to his shit did you always look up to tony uh, i guess so <laughs> there, there were some questionable years yeah. there the, the, sure. are you talking about right you know? now yeah exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, but was he like, hey, kid, come in my room and listen to this, or you, you need oh, to like no, this? Not at all. Probably he wasn't not. like he, bullying you he into He did it. not enjoy my company whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> but did you guys have some mutual friends who like bridged the gap between the two of you? I mean, I think probably later we yeah. did. Um, but I'm almost like five years older than him. So there's a point where... When we were teenagers, that was a big difference. Yeah. yeah. Or I'm 15 and he's 11. Like, that was a bigger difference, yeah. All, all Tony's older punk friends thought I was cool, though, because I was also good at skateboarding. But Tony didn't want me to hang no, out. No, it's just the annoying little brother. Mm -hmm. yeah. But you guys ended up starting a club together. How did that happen? Yeah. Yeah, I think by the time I was like an adult, we were cool. Yeah. Wait, so how old were you guys um, when you started, Champ? I was 24. I was 19. And, and how long out. were you guys involved with, with that club? Uh, me a little longer than him, but for me it was like nine years. Wow. Whoa, really? Yeah. This is going to sound yeah, like a funny going... question, but do you think it's possible to overstate the importance of that club to our area and also to like the punk and hardcore scene during that time for touring bands? 
I think it's a, a valued, it has a valued place in history of that era for sure. Um, I mean, how many shows were you guys doing a year? Oh, geez. During the heyday. I mean, at least two to three a week for, you know, a good number of years. Yeah. In a little town, Lemoyne, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, and the thing to keep in mind is, is we were, we had a good, you know, six, seven, eight years of doing shows before that just, and some bigger bands, not as many, but, um, doing a lot of shows before that came along. Like what happened was a lot of the venues we were working at all shut down and that's sort of what prompted us to open the the venue. Yeah. And Colby was a big part of it as well. Mm-hmm. It was definitely, he was booking shows since, you know, the early mid nineties. Yeah. Even before both of us. Yeah. So you guys are running a club. So it's a all ages club. You're basically, you know, probably the only thing for a lot of teenagers in town to do. Right. I mean, and it's like, a, it seemed like it was a safe place where parents were cool dropping off their 13 year old daughter or whatever to go check out some bands. That's a credit to you. Thanks. Uh, I think a big part of all of that and uh, kind of the way we ran it was uh, that we read the Gilman book and we're trying to have a place that kind of had that same kind of vibe um, where people felt welcomed and, uh, you know, it was as DIY as possible. So was, was Gilman Street your inspiration? Yeah, for me, 100%. I mean, I read that book when I was in high school and, uh, you know, just all the stories of all the different bands that came through there. And, um, you know, it was, yeah. Yeah, and there was a lot of ownership of that place, too. I mean, a lot of people volunteered there Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, really made it their their place, like their clubhouse. Yeah, I mean, that's that was our idea, for sure. Mm -hmm. And without those people, it wouldn't have happened because i mean we needed that help people being involved and and taking ownership of it to the fact of making sure people weren't getting into trouble and keeping it a safe place so that you know those 13 year olds could continue to come so did you see a lot of people there kind of self-policing it you know like everyone was kind of looking out for each other there and kind of paying attention to what was going on other people other than just you guys for sure anyone who quote unquote volunteered there was definitely taking ownership um whether or not the fellow patrons uh i wouldn't say 100 percent of the time some you know yeah anytime you have punk shows and you have a bunch of drunk children at <laughs> uh <laughs> you know shit's gonna go down but you know for the most part people and I think, yeah, I think it mattered to like the people who would go a lot and got it and understood what it was about right? versus maybe someone who... A person from out of town who came to yeah. show or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But sometimes the people from out of town would be the biggest supporters because they would be like, I wish we had something like this by us and we don't want to see anything happen to it so we can keep coming here like some people from baltimore or people from philly or something would come so for you guys personally owning that club 
from running that club, how did it impact sort of your journey after afterwards in terms of music and life? Like, obviously, you guys were exposed to a lot of bands and people. You mentioned Baltimore, and I know that played a role in Chris's journey. So, uh, how did that? How did owning that club impact your lives? For me, I met so many people. Um, you know, in the, especially in those first couple of years of, and I still run into people, you know, I'll be at some random fest or something and I'll run into someone and be like, oh yeah, I met you 10 years ago at a show at Champ that you booked my band or whatever, you know, or we played with your band or something. Um, so, you know, I just met so many people. If you're at shows, you know, three nights a week with touring bands every night, you're going to meet people from all over the world which is crazy because, you know, I went to places going back to like traveling and photography. I've gone to places like Korea or the Ukraine. Um, and, you know, I know people there from shows at championship and I, you know, stayed with them and they've took me around town and like took me out to eat. And it's just crazy how interconnected all of, you know, punk and hardcore can really be. And we did have a lot of bands from overseas playing and things too. Was that rad when you'd get like a, you know, a show request from a band from Korea or Europe or something? Is that, that, that make it Any kind of band exciting? from another country that asked to play there, I booked them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like without, I didn't even hesitate. It's like, you're going to come all the way over here. I'm going to do whatever I can to help you out. And you know, from touring, it's those, you know, it's, you may go on a three or four week tour where you have a lot of shitty shows, but like the one decent show and the, even if it's a small town, but like where the promoters are cool and people treat you well and like buy you pizza after the show or whatever. Like that's what you oh, remember sure. from the tour. And you remember it from like 30 years ago mm-hmm. and 20 years ago, you know, like it sticks with you forever. So I'm sure people, you know, remember you and want to return the favor in some way. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So you were running the club and then where did you, you left central Pennsylvania, obviously at some point, when was that? And what was that for? Yeah. In 2007, I moved to San Francisco to go to grad school. And were you playing in a band at the time? Uh, I was playing in a band called Bette Noir, which was like a thrash punk band. Um, and they continued on without me. <laughs> Somehow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then I wasn't in a band for, like a year and a half. So you went to San Francisco to study photography. Mm-hmm. And what happened after that year and a half? That leads me to, I was trying to come up with a thesis project for my master's program. Um, and I decided I want, and I was concentrating on mostly documentary photography. And I wanted to do a kind of like behind the scenes of what it's like to be in a touring band. Right. Uh, and my friends who were back home in Maryland had just started, well, had just changed the band's name to Mindset um, and were doing a bunch of touring that summer. And I was off from school that summer. And uh, I asked them if I could, you know, go on tour with them and just take pictures. And then that ended up to me playing bass for them. And then that's how I kind of joined that band and ended up moving back to the East Coast and all that stuff. So did you start out on tour with them just as the photographer or did they ask you to play bass right away? I think Mike asked me to play bass right away. I think that was his, I think they needed a bass player. 
he was like, you can come, but you have to play bass. <laughs> <laughs> and that was not my intention at all. I was like, I just want to take pictures. Yeah. But, but it worked out, right? I mean, it worked hey, out. Come on. Yeah. yeah. So that, what, what year was that? That was the summer of 2008. Okay. And you met those guys at Champ. Uh, I knew Mike from before Champ. I knew Mike from Decontrol Days. Oh, okay. Playing okay. down in in Thermont. Yeah. But I, I think we like became friends really. Yeah, probably at Champ. So then you relocated to Baltimore while you're working on that thesis? Yeah. So then I, well, actually I went back to San Francisco, uh, for another semester and then, uh, came back the following year. And then I, I lived in Baltimore for a year and a half. What made you study photography in the first place? Great question. I didn't know what to do (laughs) with my life and needed to pick something to go to school for because, uh, our parents were not keen on me not going to college. <laughs> so I just picked the thing that seemed the most interesting. But you did photography in high school too, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I did, I did a lot of photography. I took pictures at shows mostly, uh, you know, and, and then I took darkroom photography in high school, but I, I didn't, think of myself as a photographer. It was just something I did, you know? But I think, you know, you definitely had an interest in it. And I, I mean, I think it seems like sometimes that's a story and for a lot of photographers who are involved in hardcore and punk that it's more like they're just doing it at shows and doing it to help out friends bands. Cause I think you even took pictures of our old band at some point. Oh, yeah. Before, yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah. It was always, it was always tightly involved with punk and hardcore though. All the photography you were doing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Are there some hazards that go along with taking pictures that shows? Like if you had any equipment that's been damaged or destroyed or have you gotten like, a- uh, nothing like crazy destroyed. Um, I mean, back in the day I was mostly using, you know, disposable cameras and, <laughs> uh, old 35 millimeter cameras that, you know, weren't really worth anything. So it didn't really matter. Um, nowadays I like hardly ever shoot shows unless someone specifically asked me to, um, just cause there's, you know, with digital photography, everyone's a photographer now and there's, you know, every show you go to, there's a million photographers. So, um, I kind of stopped doing that unless, you know, it's a specific band. So uh, let's go back to Baltimore. So you, so your, so your thesis was the was that the mindset book. So the first, yeah. So I've done two mindset books actually. Okay. The first mindset book was my thesis essentially. Yeah, and then I did uh, like a gallery show up in Pennsylvania, um, and then did the book. And are those? Did you self-publish those books, or do you have a publisher? Yeah, it was just self-published. Okay. And where can people find those books? Uh, on eBay or something. I don't know. I only made a hundred and they all sold out before the show even happened. Wow. Yeah. Sounds like you've got a very entrepreneurial older brother. It sounds like you have an opportunity (laughs) to monetize (laughs) this lack of inventory. It's like, it's like a seven inch, 
Yeah. Yeah. Limited, limited. It is, it's, that book is actually seven inches. It is. Oh, wow. (laughs) It's amazing. Yeah. Hmm? So then that came out, I don't know, something like 2009, 2010. Then I did a second book after the band had broken up, which was everything from essentially after that book came out to the end of the band. Um, and I did 200 of that book and that also sold Wow. So wait, so when did Mindset break up? 2016. I remember hearing about your epic last show. Was it DC? Was it at? Mm-hmm. Was yeah, it was at St. Stephen's in DC. Okay. Any yeah. chance of any other shows? Well, I mean, now's a, it's, an, it's easy to say no now, but. Yeah, uh, I don't think so. We're all pretty busy with other stuff and that was the reason why we broke up, so. But how many of the guys from Mindset are in praise? Uh, three out of five. Okay. So there's 40% who are too busy to do other music, but 60% yeah. who aren't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sounds and accurate. You're, you're the 60% that aren't. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> It's my fifth grade math right there. <laughs> that was good, though. You got that down. Thanks. So um, talk to us about Praise. How did that come about? Uh, Praise is, started with Andy Norton, the singer of Praise. And he had been writing and working on songs for a few years, trying to get up a, different, a bunch of different lineups, and nothing ever really you know, followed through. Um, and then when I was actually living in Baltimore, uh, I don't know. I guess Mike, Mike from Mindset was originally in Praise. Um, he's no longer in Praise, but he played on the first record. I think he was like, hey, Andy and I are starting this band Praise. Do you want to play bass? And that's basically what happened. The first seven inch was like all stuff Andy pretty much had already written. Um, and then Mike left the band and we got this guy, Anthony, to play guitar. Um, and then him and Andy just kind of hit it off. Um, just loved all the same stuff, all the same revolution summer bands. Uh, and you know, that kind of took off from there. Were you involved a lot with the writing? Uh, not really. I, you know, Anthony kind of took over when he joined the band and, uh, you know, he'll come to, practice i mean we don't really practice that much but you know he'll come to practice with a riff and you know we'll as a band put it all together but yeah um mostly and anthony with the the riffs andy with the lyrics um you know since the last record austin from mindset also joined um and this we just went we're in the studio earlier this year for a record that hasn't come out yet um you know, and he's, he wrote a couple songs as well. So. And you're recording a little bit with Brian, right? Yeah. So Andy is finishing vocals with Brian. We had all the music finished with uh, Kevin Bernstein in Baltimore back in February. Uh, But then COVID happened and Andy didn't get to finish vocals. So he's been going just him and Brian one-on-one and doing like one song at a time kind of thing until we can finish it up. What are the plans for the record? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think we have 10 songs. 
put a 12 inch out. I don't know who's going to put it out, but we'll see what happens. We just want to make sure it's uh, done first before. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. That's been key. Yeah. This has really put uh, a lot of things on hold or messed mm-hmm. up timelines for a lot of music. Right. Yeah. It's good. You got the music done in February. Yeah. It's weird though. You know, we just, rec- you guys know from having done similar thing, uh, you know, recording something and then just not, doing anything with it for an extended period of time. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not, uh, like typically how things work. Usually you're like rushing sure. to get it done to get it out. Like almost immediately. Yeah. Waiting for this amount of time to release something is a weird mm-hmm. phenomenon. Well, it's funny you mentioned Brian and all this, because I think the last like normal, I feel like the last normal thing I did involving like a crowd of people was just Tony and I went down to DC to see Brian's band Be Well. Oh, cool. Like March, I don't know, was it the first week of March? First week in March, maybe? Or like. It was like right before everything. I mean, right before. Because I think even in the car, we were like, should we be going down here? <laughs> like, yeah. And then we had dinner with some friends before the show, and one of the women who's there is a physician, and she's like, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen. This is this COVID thing. It's kind of crazy, but just wash your hands. And we're like, all right, we'll wash our hands. Everything will be fine. You know, and that was the last. So naive. Last show. <laughs> that was it. And we didn't even see them. We didn't even get to go into the show. It sold out. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it was a small room. It was like Songbird Cafe, I think it was oh, okay. called. Okay, yeah, yeah. But it was a little room. And we just didn't even think to buy tickets ahead of time. Do they even do we tickets ahead of time there? apparently they did oh. you had to buy them online yeah interesting and brian's like it's okay i'm gonna get you in. i'm gonna get you in and i was like you're not gonna get us in there's no <laughs> way it was <laughs> so that place is cool I've, I've been there yeah it was very cool but we uh, saw half of it saw half the building half of the half the club not half <laughs> yeah. the show we could yeah. hear it going on in the other room though, yeah which it sounded is good. great it was, the show was upstairs <laughs> Yeah. Oh, so you could go go into like the bar area or whatever. The bar. Yeah, area. yeah, yeah. And Brian was cool. He gave us records, and he felt really, really bad. He couldn't get us in, but honestly, we saw a bunch of old friends, and it was just like great to hang out. Yeah, for sure. Regardless, being that it was the last time we hung out with anybody. Anyone. Yeah. <laughs> seriously. So talk to us. Uh, what are you up to now? Um, tell, tell, talk to us about No Heads. No heads. Okay. No heads. No heads. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So no heads was kind of started as a solo project for myself. Um, praise was kind of laying low for a little bit. And, uh, I've always been interested in, in the more kind of punk, uh, oi street punk kind of vibe, even though I played in a bunch of youth crew bands or whatnot. Um, so I had a bunch of songs written and uh, went through a couple different lineups down here. Eventually got uh, Matt and Josh from up in Pennsylvania involved somehow. I convinced them to be in a band with me from four hours away. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I played in a ton of bands with Matt. We've both known Josh since we were, you know, 14. Um, he played in the virus, still plays in the virus. Um, and basically now it has just become 
an excuse to go and hang out with those guys. <laughs> All right. Uh, and yeah, and then our friend Dave from down here also plays uh, second guitar. So yeah, we put Russian Dave. What's right? that? Is that Russian, Russian Dave. Dave? Yeah, yeah. The, the story of Russian Dave. Um, so like he's in a hurry or he's from Russia? Yeah, well, he's not <laughs> actually from Russia, but like Russia, the country. Yes. Okay. Um, so we put out a, a record. When was that? Beginning of 2019. Um, and we have like 21 songs demoed out now that we want to record a proper LP at some point. Wow. Wow. Be 20 minutes. No, dude. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a seven inch. <laughs> One side. The, the first record, you know, was a lot of me. You know, they, Josh and Matt definitely had a lot of input as well, but it was like mostly stuff I had already written. Mm -hmm. uh, this record has been way more collaborative. Um, and whereas the first record was very just kind of straightforward Blitz UK 82 stuff. Um, this one, we've gone back even further and are listening to a lot more like 70s punk. Um, and you know the song some of the songs are three four minutes long so oh uh yeah it's gonna be we were we were looking at you know the clash of london calling as like a mile marker so to speak and that has wow. 19 songs and is a double lp obviously so uh that was kind of what we were shooting for something like that i don't know if any so that vibe you think the clash it's definitely way more yeah clash vibe than uh the first record for sure i don't know did you get into any dub or reggae stuff or what's that did you get into any of the dub or reggae yeah i mean there's a couple uh, it's definitely not all just fast punk anymore it's definitely kind of branching out a little bit it's rad yeah i'm stoked. can't wait to hear it i don't know who is going to agree to put out a double lp of a band that <laughs> doesn't really do anything but uh well, see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but, but you get, it's not like you guys don't have a pedigree though, too. You know sure, I mean? Sure. You know, you guys have all been in some bands that have done a couple things. So, uh, I'm very grateful for the amount of things that we have just as no has as a band has done considering we're not, you know, a full-time band or anything. But I mean, we've only played like 15 shows or something. Yeah, but a lot of them have been good, right? Right, like yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, and... some of those shows were crazy. Like, we had no place playing these shows. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but somehow, we finagled our way out through them. Like what? Talk about some of those. Uh, so, we the last show we played, the last time I was at a live music event, we played this um, We Are the Punks Fest in Florida, which was crazy. Uh, and we had a crazy reaction... Uh, we played the same day as Lower Class Brats and Blank 77, um, two like, you know, kind of super well-known kind of in that street punk world. Um, but then some also like really good kind of current bands like Warthog and Haram also played. It was just like a crazy show. Um, 
Then what else? We also played last year the Fuck You, We Rule OK Fest in Oklahoma, which was also just insane. I didn't know like that many people still had mohawks. Like it was kind of like blown away. I felt like in Oklahoma. Yeah. I mean, but people traveled from all over to go to Oklahoma, which I was like, okay, that's weird. Yeah. Um, It's a tourist destination. Yeah. Mm. I had a blast though. It was awesome. That's awesome. Uh, Shout out to Oklahoma. Yeah. Shout out to Oklahoma for sure. Boulevard and Trash. uh, Great record store. And uh, in May, we were supposed to go to Europe for the first time and play the Punk and Disorderly Festival with Cox Bar and the Addicts. Oh, wow. Wow. That would have been insane. Um, Yeah. But obviously COVID happened. Apparently it's going to happen it's been rescheduled for 2021. So hopefully fingers crossed. Everything's at a place where we can yeah. do it. Were you doing a whole tour or just that festival? Uh, yeah. So we, I mean, that was like the main reason we were going to go over, but then we were going to, uh, Robert from refuse records was going to book like just kind of a week little tour around that. Cool. Yeah. Cause he put out a record over there and you know, it's, it would probably benefit him if we played some over there. <laughs> right, a couple shows over, over there. <laughs> to promote the record he put out? Yeah, to promote the record he put out a year and a half ago. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to photography, do you think you would have ended up following this path of photography if it weren't for punk and hardcore in your life? You know, I like if you would have been like a basketball player. Or yeah, I don't know if I would have ever like, even picked up a camera, honestly. Because yeah. the first you know, cameras I was picking up was because I wanted to take pictures at a show. Right. Not go to a basketball game. and. Yeah, I wasn't taking take pictures photos. at a basketball game. <laughs> right. But wait, were you a referee too? I was a referee. Yeah, let, let's talk about you and Tony as refs. <laughs> the people want to know. I think Tony did Do it. Do they though? Do I, th- I think oh, Tony yeah, did it know. way longer than I did. I so wait, did. Did, I did, did either of you actually play basketball? We both we played both basketball. Did. Yeah. Okay. Our dad yeah. is still a basketball coach. He's legendary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I was definitely a better referee than I was basketball player. <laughs> I was a pretty good referee, actually, if I'm going to toot my horn a little bit. But I definitely will not say I was a great basketball player. Chris was actually pretty good at basketball. I don't I know how his refereeing was, though. So I only refereed maybe two seasons or something. I didn't do it very okay. well. So here's a question for referees. Is the charge slash block the hardest call to make in basketball as a referee? The hardest call. Hardest the hardest meaning- judgment call. Mm, I mean, there's not... Well, let me just say this. Like, I was refereeing, like third, fourth, fifth, maybe sixth grade girls game. So there's not a lot. (laughs) Eric drawing a lot of charges? (laughs) Yeah. What? So, you know, I mean, I think at that level. It was mostly travels. It it was a lot of travels. (laughs) And they had to take like seven steps in order for you to actually call. And it was. A travel. The hardest part, I would say, was dealing with parents. Oh, yeah. You know, who especially you know felt entitled and and did not have a problem yelling at some teenager about what they called in their 
fourth grade daughter's, you know, youth rec league game and would yell at you and curse at you. Did you ever have to ask anyone to leave the gym? Uh, yeah, a number of times. Really? Oh, yeah. How did that go down? Uh... Not well, um, but, you know, when you're once once again, when you're like a teenager and you're telling a grown ass adult that they have to <laughs> leave the gym, it's not great. But, um, you know, especially but I, I think eventually other people around them say, yeah, you're getting a little ridiculous here and you need to get out of here. Like maybe the coach. Um and they would eventually leave. I never got punched, but can you imagine being to punch that you. involved? <laughs> not, no, not like that. Not like that. I can imagine being involved, but I can't ever imagine cursing out some teenager because of a call they made against my kid. There's no. <laughs> Like they're there just to have fun. There's no keeping score basically. Right. 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 I remember one time I was at my daughter's basketball game. She's probably like fifth grade or something. It was like a parochial school game and one of the referees didn't show up. And so the woman who was in charge of the league just like basically walked onto the court and stood in front of the stands where all the parents were and said, I need someone to volunteer to referee this game. And no one volunteered. And I played basketball in high school, but I don't, I don't know how to referee a game. I mean, there's so many rules that you just don't. I mean, you know the basic rules, but refereeing is totally different. So no one volunteered. And then she looked at me and she's like, you're tall. You probably used to play basketball. <laughs> you're going to ref the game. And I said, I don't know how to referee. Ba- like, I don't want to do this. I don't know how to referee. I'll, I'll volunteer at like the snack bar or whatever, but like, I don't want to ref. And she basically just like handed me the whistle and she said, you'll do fine. So I go out in the court. <laughs> About two minutes into the game, there was a ball that went out of bounds under the basket. And so they had to do it. We had to set up an inbounds play. And I just handed the ball to the kid, like wherever it went out of bounds. Yeah. That's where I handed it to him to start the play. And I didn't realize you're supposed to start it at the bottom of the key on either the right side. Is that what's called the key? The mm-hmm. lane, either on the right side or left side, depending on where the ball went out of bounds. I didn't realize that, nor does it really matter. These are like, you know, fifth graders. <laughs> The woman who recruited me, made me referee, starts screaming across the court. You're inbounding in the wrong place. That's the wrong place. You're screwing up. But she's like berating me. Why didn't she in front just referee? Of... So I blew the whistle, walked across the court, handed her the whistle, and went and sat back down the stands. Oh, my God. And I handed her the ball. I said, you referee the game. That's bad. That was it. <laughs> it wasn't quite as cool as escorting like adults out of the gym when you're 15 but it was not cool doing that it made me realize how <laughs> that's the worst it's the most thankless job that there possibly is oh, right yeah it's literally a job where like if no one notices you and talks about you then you've done well job. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right right so funny. yeah can you just blend in but that was probably good preparation for you tony to be a parent School psychologist, a band member, maybe of adult, you know, surrounded by adult. You know, a lot men. of growing up and basketball referee. Uh, yeah. You are you just you just mean getting prepared to get cursed at a lot? Is that exactly is that, is that, is that, being a husband? Right. 
So wait, so have you guys ever played in a band together? The yeah, Brothers Bavaria. Was it called yeah. The Brothers Bavaria? Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, we actually, well, I'll let you tell it. No, go ahead. Well, you know, it's your interview. So, yeah. We were in a band called Those Who Remain because we were the only straight edge people who remained in central Pennsylvania. And that actually, I think, is kind of what led to the club because it was yeah, Basically. you, Colby, and I playing that band and, you know, hanging out and stuff and talking about, oh, we should do this now that all these venues are closed. Were like the, the themes of all the songs about like selling out and breaking edge and stuff like that. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so who else is in that band besides you guys and Colby? Uh, Jared. Do you know Jared Pfeiffer? It's in Espen Shade. Okay. And Mansion Builder. Yeah. Um, and then we had a few different drummers. Drummers don't stay straight edge. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh. But then Ethan, Ethan was the longest. Yeah, Ethan, who's, who's now in Steel Nation and played in Bitter End. And, oh, yeah, yeah. I know Ethan. He's um, awesome. Mm-hmm. He, he was probably in it the longest, yeah. Mm. And he stayed straight edge. Yeah. At least. I, as far as I know. I think he's still straight edge. Yeah. He is. Yeah. I, I met him, uh, I was just at like 7-Eleven or something buying gas. And this kid walks in. He was wearing a hardcore shirt or something. But he was an older guy. I was like, whoa, hardcore guy. We started talking and then he's like, oh yeah, I played Steel Nation. I was like, that's a, that band's great. Mm-hmm. They're awesome. So you guys are still hold. I mean, you guys are s- still true, true till death, huh? <laughs> yeah. I guess so. <laughs> Very literally. It's incredible. Unlike Change Strip. Unlike. Oh, <laughs> now, I, I kept waiting for this shit, shit talking to start. Here we go. Now, could I tell you I though? Still, it's amazing to Chain. play them. It's cool. What's that? I still fuck with Chain. It's cool. Uh, it is fantastic playing a band with a straight edge guy though, sure. who also has motion sickness, so insists on driving always. Because <laughs> <laughs> basically, we can do whatever we want before and after the show. That's right. You know, I'm basically a chauffeur. <laughs> I know my role in the band. <laughs> Yeah, we love you. So, um, tell me about. The, I mean, what what's your? I'm gonna go deep on you guys now. What's your relationship like now as as brothers, as adults? You guys live different towns, different states. Are you, you know, you still in touch pretty regularly? And what's that like? Yeah, we're good. <laughs> uh, I I mean, I think as soon as we, I kind of became an adult, because Tony is obviously already an adult. Uh, I think our relationship has been good. And, yeah. Uh, you know, I love going over to Tony's house and playing with my niece and nephew because uh, I don't have They're the best. My own. <laughs> super- I may I may have replaced you actually. Oh I'm yeah. Like the, I, I think Bear. I'm the only person outside of your family who's been in this house since okay. March. So we've been doing this uh, podcast here, and I every time I come in, Milo is absolutely goes crazy so excited to see me because i'm probably the only person he's seen that's right you're like probably like yeah a handful of three or four people so i'm just a placeholder until you're able to come back (laughs) chris i promise thank you yeah (laughs) yeah i think i think we you know playing 
actually playing in those who remain together and touring and being together. in a band together. Yeah. Doing a tour, practicing. I think that's really where our relationship kind of found its foundation outside of just like the older brother, younger brother kind of thing. Cause you know, we were like, I was at college and we weren't, we weren't living together anymore. So. Yeah. So you didn't, we had that time apart and then we were able to come back and, and kind of be friends. Yeah. Five years is a lot. It is when you're young. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's nothing. Now we're just all old. Hey, I'm not old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then from those who remain, I mean, Chris, you're actually the first, the original bass player in Don't Sleep. It's a little known fact, probably. Out yes. There. Technically. Yeah. Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was our, you played our first hit single. Cool. <laughs> You're welcome. So because were you in town then, or what, what was the story with that? I don't even yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, I think it was, you were, you were just back. It was Thanksgiving weekend. And I was just there so for the weekend or whatever? Yeah, so you were just there. And that's why Dan Jones who was the drummer on that first stuff. He was home too. He was the original drummer. He was a drummer for the commercials. Um, he was around then also just cause it was Thanksgiving and you were, you had had your skiing accident, Garrett. I had, I had, I had just had shoulder surgery. So I was in a sling for like two months. And so we were just like, Oh, we should write these songs while there's some people around. And so we just did it in what, like two days down in my basement. I might have only been there one day. That's all we needed you for. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So Bring the Light was, was there more than one song that ended up being recorded from that session? I mean, there's that that Dave actually put vocals to? Uh, Jetstream Days. Oh, right, right, right. On the 12 inch. Those two. We wrote three. He did vocals to two. Yeah, one of them, he's like, I don't know what to do with this song. Because it was really, it was like less than a minute or something. It's probably meant for some the best song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we hey. should revisit that one. See if it's any good. Seriously, I'm sure it's great. I have no idea what that sounds like. <laughs> I think you forgot about the whole thing until I was like, oh yeah, we, were, <laughs> we actually mix these songs. <laughs> so thank you for uh, being the OG and holding us down then. Chris. You're welcome. <laughs> the enthusiasm is, is, came and contained. Do you want an invitation to our Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction? Do you want to be there with us? I mean, I, yeah. <laughs> I want to pose. Have you ever been? To the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have a good story awesome. about that. Oh, please. Tony, tell the story. Yeah. Um, so when we first started kind of playing together in what would become very Americans. It was, you know, aside from Tom and I, it was a few people that we really kind of knew peripherally, but didn't um, really know that well. So it's sort of like a band bonding trip. We ended up going to the rock and roll hall of fame mm. and um, we went there, we went to falling water then 
Pirates game, right? On the way back? Right. right. Yeah, we're supposed to go to an Indians game, but Tom was like, we're going to go to Pittsburgh and we're going to go to a Pirates game. <laughs> <laughs> and we saw Beach House. Oh, we saw Beach House. Yeah, Ooh. that's right. Oh, in, in Cleveland. Yeah. We went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and then we went to see Beach House. And cool. I got really drunk and I was heckling one of the bands. It's, <laughs> it's literally the lowest of the low points in my entire life. And I don't even know why. Now there was this band Wild Nothing who I actually love. They're a great band. I have no idea why I was doing that. <laughs> you ruined I, their night. <laughs> I was, I'm sure they couldn't hear me. I was, we were pretty far back, but you I was think. You annoying. Think they couldn't hear you. I annoyed everyone around me and, we almost didn't have a band after that night. I'm There's sure Tony be was like, "Beef with our sleep now." With this <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I apologize, guys. It was me, but no, yeah, they were a great band. I have no idea what I was doing. I think Tom was Tom probably was encouraging me. I don't know. <laughs> that, Tom would never do that. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like Tom would encourage you to do it, but then not actually ever do it himself. Right? right? Yes. Yeah. No, yeah. but that was the low point in my life. And, I'll regret that forever. Other than that, the trip was great. The trip was fun. Yeah, it was but the Rock and Roll of Fame is amazing. Yeah. Had you been? I have. It's, it, was, ooh, it was a while ago, though. Did you bring did you get him get for free? To get him for free? Yes. We did. We, and we, br- we actually brought a Junction CD because we weren't really a band yet. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was my last Junction CD, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. I'm sure it ended up in the uh, dumpster behind the Rocker Hall of Fame <laughs> later that night. So, <laughs> Yeah, do you think they keep an archive of all that? I mean, I think they got it, or why would they ask for them? I don't know. I think they probably do. No one, I'm sure, looks at it or touches it. But it's like when you go to like a college radio station. And you look at their like archives of everything they have in there that's been there since the seventies, but and you're not allowed to take anything, but it's gonna stay there till you know, the college burns down. Yeah. I I was a guest. My friend remember my friend Andy Jones? Mm-hmm. He had he had a radio show at Millersville that I swear you couldn't hear the station outside of the building that it was in. <laughs> <laughs> Like it was in the same building as like the cafeteria or whatever and right. the student union or whatever. But like mm-hmm. that was the only place, the signal was only that like strong. Uh, but they had a crazy record. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, the perks of working at a radio station. Are yeah. I mean, everyone I knew who worked at a radio station had incredible record collections. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I didn't, I had friends who worked at the radio station at Penn State, and, I, and uh, so I would just go with them and like hang out while they did their shows. And I remember when the um, Alice in Chains Dirt CD showed up, they, it came in a box, like a, you know, it was mailed in a box, and you open it up, and there's a plastic bag full of dirt with the CD inside <laughs> of the bag. And it was like sealed. And I'm sure if, if you just held on to it, you could probably sell it for oh, yeah. $6,000 right now. <laughs> <laughs> a bag of dirt I wonder where that dirt came from that's a good question that is a good question they probably just paid some intern to go out in the desert or something 
Well, thanks a lot, Chris. Sure. Thanks for doing this and for deeming it okay for us to use that cover photo. Do you have physical copies yet? No, no, no. September 4th. Yeah, probably, that's probably when we'll get them. <laughs> we'll get them september 24th probably yeah probably everyone else will get one but we won't but yeah. yeah seriously thank you for everything you've done for us and shows you've shot for us we appreciate that and uh for being a rad brother of tony for hosting us in richmond when we were doing also the yeah vocal dave was recording thank vocals you. thank you charm school the ice cream place will be waiting for yes you. oh Please. yes yeah we need to come down again cool all I right mean, thanks dude all right talk to you later <laughs> bye See you, Chris. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another episode of the No Sleep Till Don't Sleep podcast and check out our new album, Turn the Tide, out now.